Welcome to the podcast, Three Things That Matter. My name is Anne Blake, and in each episode, I interview a different guest. They are asked to bring three things that matter to them. These might vary from books and plants to places and occasions. These three things provide the jumping off point for discussion of the extraordinary in the everyday. Three Things That Matter is a Limerick Post podcast and is released every second Wednesday. In episode three of the first series, I chat to Michal Moli Osulawan, a renowned singer, poet and speaker from Limerick, Ireland. From a family steeped in Irish traditional music and academia, he inherited musical and poetic traditions from his parents, the late composer, pianist and ethnomusicologist Professor Michal O'Sullivan and mother, Reverend Noreen Nirian. He formed an a cappella trio with his brother Owen and mother Noreen called Amen, performing traditional and interfaith religious song across Europe and America. Himself and his brother Owen also performed as acoustic pop duo Size Two Shoes. He has shared stages and worked with the likes of Russell Crowe, The Chieftains, Steven Spielberg, Bobby McFerrin and Rhiannon Giddens, to name but a few. Michal published his first book of poetry, Early Music, in late 2020. Well, Michal, uh, or should I say Moli, I'm not quite sure. Um, we, we'll clarify that right now. But welcome to Three Things That Matter. It is fantastic to have you on the podcast. I'm I'm uh, delighted to be here. It's a it's a great honor to be asked, actually, especially in the early days of a podcast, because you 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 get the sensibility that like you're in a club now and you were there on the ground floor, as they say, of things. And uh, and yeah, Michal or Moli. Uh, I was Moli for a long time, a nickname that my family bequeathed upon me, which I was very glad for most of my life. Uh, from Wind in the Willows, my brother christened me when I was about four months old or something. And um, so I, I stuck with it. All my like teachers called me Moly when I was in secondary school and my parents called me Moly. Uh, and my professional name as a singer was Moly um, all over the world, really, singing a numerous different styles of music under the moniker Moly O'Sullivan. OwenandMoley.com is me and my brother's website to this day. Um, my dad's name is Michal. I am his namesake. Uh, so I think it was easier, especially when I was making my way in the professional fields of the arts as a young drummer and rapper and singer. Um, I went with Moley, hook, line and sinker, thinking that, you know, I'd be up there. It's a marquee name, really, Moley, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I certainly it's uh, I mean, we know each other quite a while now and it's what I would have known you as. So I have to I'll adjust, though. I'll adjust and call you me. I'd be delighted to call you me. Well, it's a professional adjustment because as I as I mature into my second half of my 30s, uh, (laughs) as many of us know, there begins to appear certain dissonances and uh, uh, hairline fractures in in our own self and the identities we've uh, painstakingly constructed and um, and the invitations that are coming to us that we're following gratefully are not necessarily the things, the paths that we set out to follow or, or built for ourselves. So I'm very glad to be on a path where Moli as a kind of a Moli, the name Moli just wasn't doing justice to the depth and intentionality of the arts uh, identity that I'm that I'm very glad to be crafting at the moment really Mm. so I took on my my birth name which is heavy enough because my father is actually set quite a legacy in education and music and Mm. academia and um, a legendary composer and piano player and uh, and uh, closet poet Um, so uh, it always was uh, a for all of you out there who have the names of your parents it is a, uh, a a very proud thing, but also a sense of dissonance as well, I suppose, you know. Hmm. Well, um, already, already amazing. Like we're just talking about your name <laughs> and there's so much beauty and depth there. So much trauma already. <laughs> <Anna>. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, no, it's 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 delightful um, and and amazing and and insightful as well. Um, so uh, as 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 anyone who comes on this podcast is requested to uh, to bring three things that matter to them, and so I just want to invite you to to introduce your first thing. The big thing is like which one first, you know, um, mm. because they're quite disparate. But uh, I suppose we'll start with the nuts and bolts of uh, reality and we will go with dun, 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 the first of my most important things. Um, not the most important things, just things yeah. that matter. Just things uh, that matter, yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't be a very impo- like uh, entertaining podcast. The most important things in your life probably would be really, really boring. But um, things that matter to me today, one of the things is dun, 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 calories. Oh, <laughs> calories matter. Um, all calories matter. And uh, that is a big wake up call for me because I am on a weight loss journey. And, you know, okay. I'm on that weight loss journey. Many of you out there will know uh, what it's like. And it's uh, I for a long time. I uh, was I, I am still neurotically, emotionally invested in my weight, uh, which has expressed itself in many, many extreme ways in the past. Um, so I have been on a mission of educating myself around weight loss and uh, muscle retention and uh, health really the last mm. year. So calories matter. And there's big things in that I've learned. Uh, like the, the rest of us, I've tried a lot of diets very, very badly, like just completely badly, but still thought that certain diets would create certain um you know uh, results yeah uh, but what i've learned uh is exactly what 90 percent of your listeners know uh from when they were children uh they were told this and they believed it and went about their lives quite successfully no doubt is that well a calorie is a calorie and it doesn't matter where it comes from or what time of the day you eat it or how fast you eat it or how long you sleep or anything um, a calorie is a calorie and we all run on around 2000 calories a day. I'm a large fella, so I've thankfully got around 2100 calories if I wanted to keep this same weight, which is a gargantuan, uh, behemothistic weight. Um, but I know I'm glad to be a big fella like, you know, it's a good crack, but mm, yeah. um, tw- about 2100 calories a day. So I've been trying to get it down to about 1600. They say if you shave off 500 calories that, you know, over seven days that comes up to 3,500 calories. 3,500 calories for most of most of you will know this is one pound of fat or fat production. Mm. How how many calories are it? If you wanted to eat 3,500 calories, that's a, around two large pizzas, you know, Okay. which is uh, which is most of, you know, if which is not a lot if you're talking to a fellow person like me. <laughs> so um, so, yeah, basically like and 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 educating myself on that. So the things that matter to me today are calories and I'm counting calories as well, which is, depending on who you talk to, a very productive or a very uh, neurotic um, disorder inducing thing to do. Mm. So I was wondering about like the deeper themes of calorie counting and control, um, you know, about self-kindness, but also about self-control. And uh, calories are the perfect conundrum of life actually that are both a great way to read life but also a great way to sabotage your intentionality and 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 turn your self-kindness for you have to be kind of out to fix not to fix yourself but to better yourself to count calories but then at the end of the day you end up uh damning yourself um in some days you end up actually doing the opposite of what you set out to do using the tool that you chose to use so Life is like this in many, in almost every respect, actually, you know, I find. And calories is no different. Yeah, like they they are, I suppose, um, the culture has changed recently with that, that they're, they're visible as well on, on a lot of menus or like <laughs> you can't ignore them in a way. But like, as you said, like it's it's something that could obviously be a kind of a healthy controlling thing or, or, or the neurotic or, or the, the, the very destructive controlling thing how how do you, have you have you found a, a kind of a balance for yourself because it's obviously a very big <laughs> big it's decision massive. you made the last few years and and yeah. and it's it's big uh there is um 
no balance that I I suspect I will ever find with food. It's just mm. not something where I, my mechanism was kind of busted long ago. Or maybe I was born without a mechanism, sans mechanism for mm. uh, hunger, potentially. Um, I'm, ve- I'm full very rarely. So it's it's actually quite a a a, uh, a feat to 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 go under 2000 calories a day. So you get the odd one and um, and. It's kind of surreal when that happens, but mm. you know, I, I've uh, I'm I'm a lot more educated, so at least I know the big deal for me this this year is I know why I'm not losing weight if I'm not losing weight. Like, okay. There is no other reason I'm not losing weight apart from calories. So it's not that I'm eating too many hard boiled eggs or too much cheese or you know what I mean it's or the types of food or. The, the amount of exercise. One thing I've, I've started to do is like stop counting the exercise calories burned. So, you know, I have a Fitbit or whatever. Okay, and yeah, I yeah. go for like a 60 minute walk and that tells you that you've burned 350 calories, which is the, a lot of the trackers are actually wrong. They're over counting what you're burning. Okay. In some twist of like diabolical irony um, that our Fitbits are all are wrong. Um, so, <laughs> but I was adding those 300 calories onto my day, you know, so I could like have, oh, a, you know, yeah. like those blueberries and yogurt at night or, you know, massive amounts of chocolate. Um, 300 calories is not a massive amount of chocolate, as many of you know, but uh, I was adding it on, you know, so I've stopped doing that this year as well. So I've stopped adding or eating my exercise calories burned. Um so it's 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 a double edged sword, you know, because but I do know for myself, like I had like I, I, I would have suffered from mental illness around this, not even a mental illness, just like a a mental kind of blind spot. It almost mm. feels like, you know, um, so if I, I know if I don't like check myself with all of the tools of of uh, of of health um, barometers, like, you know, speaking to people and voicing my anxieties, you know, because sometimes when I eat, I'll get a mood swing Okay. because, you know, I, I can just feel the calories just kind of like, you know, flitting away in, 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 in the breeze, you know, and but like I'm so much better than I was a year ago in terms of I'm eating less and I know what I'm doing. And when when I'm weighing once a week, which is really traumatic and I get on the scale and I'm like, I, I don't care if I'm up two pounds or down two pounds. Uh, I'm not going to let it affect my day, but then I get on the scale and then my day is ruined if I'm even <laughs> up in any way. So, which of it is normal to go up and down. So I'm learning all of these things and actually social media has helped me. Oh. You don't hear this very often. No. But Instagram has helped me actually realize that the struggle is real and that everyone's going through it. That sometimes even if you're in calorie deficit, they call it when you're underneath your uh, mm. 2000 calories or whatever a day. Um, that you can gain weight for like two, three days a week, even. Um, mm. So that's been a, an amazing, amazingly constructive thing for me uh, because naturally uh, I'm also addicted to social media. So it, it, <laughs> so when the two conf, conf, confluent, when the two have a confluence between like, you know, keeping you motivated, but they're also keeping you sitting on your, on your butt. So, uh, yeah. So you, so it's been it's been a struggle, but calories, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about them in a double edged sword kind of way. They, yeah, I, I was thinking that could it, it can like I said earlier, it can, it can go either way. It can be very helpful and it can be very very destructive, and it can drag you drag you into into the darkness. But um, like, and also it's rare, as you said, it's rare that uh, social media is helping you with with this stuff. So that's that's a nice story. It's a good news story. It is a good news story. There's a lot of guys, a lot of doctors, like obesity specialists and uh, certain like personal trainers who are coming out with like really constructive, motivational pages um, mm. that, you know, are just great reminders. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, muscle, like a lot of um, weightlifting technique and stuff, you know, which is just good to get your mind going, like, you know, mm. so. And also, you see, I'll get into this bodybuilders podcast as well. Now, I'm not a bodybuilder. I never <laughs> will be a bodybuilder. Uh, but these guys and girls are obsessed with, you know, their diet and they're obsessed with losing weight and then they're mm. obsessed with putting it back on. So not only are they restricting calories at certain points, they're also like uh, increasing over the amount so they can put on a bit of weight so they can then turn that into muscle. So but if they you know, increase the calories too much, you know, you just get too much adiposity, it's called, which is fat. But um, so 
the bodybuilding thing is hilarious because you see all these what what many out there would call normalers mm-hmm. um, or even extreme athletes uh, obsessing and weighing food and doing all these things that if I looked like that, I would never weigh a piece of food again in my life. I would just be like, bring me the two large pizzas. But yeah, yeah. that's exactly why, you know, that's the difference. You know, is these yeah. people are, are struggling to maintain as much as I'm struggling to lose. And, and you're supposed to lose around one one percent of body weight a week uh, is a healthy, healthy thing. You can lose more, but you can bounce back. And of course, 95 percent of people who lose weight bounce back to over what they began losing yeah. at, which is an unbelievable statistic. Mm. It's it's it, and it, I think it's like a lot of these things in life. It's really about your attitude towards it is and manage and managing that because yes, as uh, so certainly for 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 lady folk, um, your weight can fluctuate a lot, and uh, and 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 unfortunately, we've been programmed from a much younger age to be aware of of all this stuff, um, in in a way that isn't helpful, you know, like uh, but. Not, not the not to get dragged down that wormhole as such because this is about stuff that matters to you um but i think um yeah th- i think that sense of having your your attitude towards it is is what um yeah and i mean what you can manage ca- what you can manage calori- and all that yeah the, the calorie thing is all tied up with my own uh um mental troubles like emotional mm. troubles uh, i've always had um a very uh complex relationship with food so mm. calories matter today. But then I was thinking like there's all these elements of calories, but not they I have to I have to sugarcoat that with like a lot of self-kindness and a lot of forgiveness, mm. a lot of awareness of uh, yeah. of where I'm coming from, where I've come from and uh, and how much patience we need. Like patience was one of the words I was going to bring as one of the things that matter to me at the moment. Mm-hmm. I've always been very impatient, but even worse than being impatient, I was impatient and didn't realize I was impatient. So. I ended up almost sabotaging my whole life out of out of for many many reasons, but one of them was impatience and um, right, 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 yeah, and uh, and and thinking that uh, what I was do what that that I was unsustainable in a lot of ways. My rationale and logic was correct in in that, but uh, so yeah, I'm crawling back to this uh, calorie counting kind of vibe, and that matters to me, you know. It's brilliant. Well, that's uh, that that uh, I I think. Um, we could maybe maybe have a look at, uh, at at your next thing that matters to you. Sure thing, sure thing. The second thing is almost the opposite of a calorie, to mm. be honest. Uh, the second thing that matters to me is poetry. Oh. And poetry is also a relatively recent art form. Um, the art form of calorie counting is, is very recent. <laughs> but the, <laughs> The art form of poetry is a little bit less recent and um, and it may have led me, in fact, quicker to towards a, the more practical. But um, there's a great quotation from Seamus Heaney that there's a that there's two. My brother quotes it. I can't remember it exactly, but there's the poetic and the practical and the and the, the, the field between is there for the crossing. And um, oh, that's beautiful. calories is definitely practical, but poetry has allowed me and poetry is one of the alchemical forces that has allowed me to uh, fall back on my name my birth cert name Mm. uh, Michal because it's an art form that comes from a part of myself that takes life very seriously Mm. which was um, a surprise uh, for me I was prone to using the alchemy of levity uh, the, the synergy of levity in order to depressurize situations. Right. Uh, and I would also use comedy to to become the center of, of conversations so that so that a real conversation couldn't take place, which is uh, one of the great uses of humor, really. Mm. It kind of uh, disarms and short circuits any type of um, seriousness or, or insight. Um, well, I mean, hilarity is the opposite of insight, really, isn't it, I suppose? But um, so I love poetry and I suppose the story of me and poetry began with my father, who always had a large poetry collection hmm. and left me his poetry collection in his will, actually. And there's some IKEA bookshelves arriving here tomorrow 
for, <laughs> for, for to, to house them, the rest of them. And uh, but I never got poetry like I got Paul Durkin. Some of your listeners would be uh, familiar with Paul Durkin. He's like a surrealist kind of comedic, manic, depressive elements. Um, surreal. So I always kind of got that and very Irish. And mm-hmm. then Heaney, I got elements of. But really, when poetry clicked to me as a live art form, I had never seen a poet read in an enthralling way. And when poetry clicked with me as a live art form was when I saw a poet called David White. Mm-hmm. David White is an Englishman with an Irish mother from Waterford, and he was born in Yorkshire. And he's a great mix of things. And he reads his own poetry and other people's poetry and speaks and calls himself a poet philosopher. Mm. And uh, my mom met David White uh, around 25 years ago, I'd say, performed at one or two conferences with him and became fast friends and would perform for one afternoon of a tour he leads to Ireland each summer to Ballyvaughan. So I always remember this as, as a child, my mom going, oh, I have to go sing for this group of Americans in a, in a thatched cottage down in Ballyvaughan on Galway Bay. <laughs> so my mom is a singer and a theologian. She's presided over your wedding, she uh, did. actually. She did. Uh, Noreen Nereen. And she uh, it, she never did that much. Neither of my parents, they were both performers of Irish traditional music and, uh, you know, great cultural ambassadors internationally to Ireland. Um but they never did much tourism work here in Ireland. Mm. They never really did much touring on a professional level at all. So it was very strange. I didn't know at the time till later and I'm becoming a professional musician that my parents were like famous musicians and speakers. And uh, but they they were never in the industry. Uh, so it was kind of strange to realize that. But my mom would go and do this ostensibly to us, a tourist gig. Uh, in this thatched cottage on Galway Bay each summer for this group of Americans. And she would come home and she would say, oh, yeah, they were all weeping and crying and um, and she'd have a ball of cash. And so obviously, as a kid, you're like, <laughs> where is there more of these thatched cottages? I mean, where are they and where did you get all this cash? You know, <laughs> and um, this guy, David White, seemed like this kind of Indiana Jones kind of, you know, I don't know, some sort of uh, light, at the, like, I don't know, some very exotic character, which he still is. And we I went and did music in University College Cork for my undergraduate degree when I was a young man. And uh, then we started singing with my mom in a trio, singing Gregorian chant, uh, Irish language chanos, uh, hymns, you know, in in an acapella trio. And we traveled a little bit around Europe, you know, my mom was turning down a lot of invitations around that time, you know, just because she didn't want to carry her own bags and stuff, didn't want to travel on her own, was never a big fan of traveling. Mm. Um, Neither of my parents were. I suspect if they were, uh, they'd be they would have found more connections in the in the music industry. But uh, they found a good few as it was and um, got some really interesting invitations. But we were able to become Noreen's roadies in my early 20s. So mm. I was singing, singing with my mom and my brother in a, in a trio, you know, traveling around America. I, and I do uh, have um, a stunning memory of, uh, sorry to interrupt you in your no, beautiful no, flow there, but I, I have a very clear memory of being in a, a church in America, which is converted to a, a dance space. And it's called Dance Limerick now. At the time it was called Dagda. And it was the opening of it. And the three of you just emerged from each door of the church singing together. And it was sublime it was just incredible um that would have been god i don't know maybe 15 years ago or so i'd say so and like were the were they heady days and weren't they heady days <laughs> many of the many of the listeners will remember those uh we were we were there man we were there uh, <laughs> never let it be said if you were at tagda that you didn't you weren't a bohemian at one stage um they definitely ticked the box there god bless them and uh <laughs> So we met after singing with Noreen in an a cappella trio for a couple of years. We accompanied Noreen to this fabled thatched cottage on Galway Bay for this gig. It was in June. We were both around. 
she said come on down and when i finish my set we'll do exactly that we'll uh it surprised them with three-part harmony coming from different parts of the room mm. and we'll sing a few songs and then she'll go these are my sons and then everyone will start weeping <laughs> and we were like yeah you know we'll sell a few cds after back in the days of cds way back and sell a few cds after be good you know uh so it that day changed our lives really not only because um we met so many people but we met david white and saw him perform mm. and david is is an extraordinary virtuoso performer of poetry and insight and creating community um so that's david white with a y w-h-y-t-e so you go to davidwhite.com or find him on facebook as well he's very good very prolific and a, a peer of my mom's and uh he invited us to accompany and collaborate with him in the in the following 10 years very graciously uh, which continues to this day but the way he would recite his own poetry and talk and make the poetry relevant to his own story um, of his life it's almost an autobiographical kind of context to many of the stories hmm. uh, to many of the poems that and then he would use repetition as well uh, so he would repeat poems and verses and stop and annotate and talk about them almost in a kind of a, a mantric kind of way. He's very, very famous for that. Mm. And uh, and that opened up poetry as literally like a fireworks ready art form of of deep, um, deep uh, mercy and fierceness, really. And I realized that poetry is a definitely a live art form, but it's also something that we, we must create intentionality about. I don't believe many poems speak for themselves. Mm. Uh, I believe that every poem is immeasurably uh, helped by what the poet could say about it mm. before or after the poem, which is not necessary for a song, necessarily. Mm. Uh, in fact, when someone starts talking about why they wrote a song, it's usually a bit of a downer. Uh, but... <laughs> For poetry, dare I say, if if you if you are uh, if you are virtuosic enough and virtuosity is something I've been thinking a lot about the last couple of weeks and virtuosity is a mindset really, more than a, a set of tools or a craft. Um, mm. It's a spirit. Uh, and I was speaking to a group about virtuosity the other day and then someone said, oh, no, I mean, I get what you say about virtuosity, but. What about on uh, X Factor? Do you know the way they bring up uh, one person out of the 10 and they, they're, they're, they're really bad, like they're terrible, but they don't know they're bad until they get on stage. You know that that mm. dirty, diabolical kind of niche in the reality TV talent show genre that has the the really terrible person, but they don't know mm. they're terrible. Yeah, yeah. But but even then, I think virtuosity is separate from the actual ability to to uh, to perform. It's all about the, like the willingness to be there, you know? Yeah. And um, and I think that that so that's so even I, I don't know. So I learned a lot about poetry from David and we apprenticed ourselves to David's art form of uh, poetic philosophizing and in, in, in a sense, deepening the narrative around all of our shared experiences through the art form of speaking and the art form of poetry. And I wanted to re read you a poem from a collection of poetry that I released late last year that is about the next thing that matters to me. Okay. And the next thing that matters to me is a place in County Limerick called Locker. And Locker is a beautiful uh, um, area of ancient residence and ritual importance in County Limerick. And I, on my own relatively recent path of writing poetry, I wrote a poem about um, my family are from that area and my grandmother and grandfather bought a little, little house there just before my mother was born. Okay. And it was always a place, I'm sure for your family too, Anna, many of your listeners, it was always a place of family picnics. Mm. We would go out there, it was kind of like, it was kind of like the Costa del Sol of Limerick or something. 
<laughs> and we would all go out there and, and feed the ducks and climb the big hill there, Knockadoon or Knockaney, and look down. And in fairness, they, actually, the Cranberry's first album cover was from the top of Knockadoon there, actually. Really? Uh, it was. Yeah, there's a great shot of them up the top there and doing a selfie, basically. <laughs> and um, so uh, it's an amazing spot. I remember heaving myself up there when I was a little child. And there's a little ring fort, a little earthwork up there, actually. Um, you know, you know that mountain. It's well worth a, a, a ramble. If I have been there, it, it is a very long time ago, and obviously not in conscious memory. Yeah, well, let's go together. Uh, oh yeah, you and the dogs. The dogs have a ball out there chasing oh, fairies. <laughs> and uh, so Locker is a great spot, and it was a real milestone in my own apprenticeship to poetry. Because it, it dovetailed a number of different levels of, of, of my, my identity and my existence as an artist and also as a, as a person and as an Irish person as well. Mm. And one of the great things that poetry has done for me, and I hope one of my missions that it has presented, one of the things that poetry has presented itself as an opportunity for me to do, is to grant or garner or inspire a sense of permission amongst us to speak for our own mythology and our own inheritance culturally. Because I came from a very artistic family, yet I still had a lot of psychological blocks and a sense of imposter syndrome around speaking about serious things, which we're all guilty of, uh, using too much humour. Mm. And we could all, we could all, benefit from taking ourselves a little bit more seriously, which poetry is a wonderful art form to do that. Maybe there's one person out there listening who could actually benefit from taking themselves a little less seriously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe one. And you know who you are. You know who you are. But for the rest of us, we're all uh, we're all cap in hand and um, making making dirty jokes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I definitely. <laughs> and poetry is a great way of disarming that. I mean, David White has a great uh, description of the art form of poetry and he calls it language against which we have no defences oh wow poetry is language against which we have no defences we do let down our guard for the spoken word in a lot of ways I often coming from the music industry background I often marvelled at how one would hear of the astronomical fees for speakers Mm. and people who would uh, speak at different events and moderate and things. Yet musicians, our fees have been constantly falling. Mm. And I was always struck at the this the similarities and differences between the art forms of speaking and the art forms of music and how a public values both. And for me, definitely speaking became at the end of my art, not at the end, but more recently. Um, your, your more recent step. Yeah, definitely more more recent <laughs> step. And it could not have it could not have come if I was younger, I think. Mm. So there's something about us maturing and us seeing our speaking voice or our insight as valuable, I think. But um, so so may that may that percolate among us as well. And may we realize the virtuosity of our speaking voices and value that. And Absolutely. poetry has really helped, helped me to do that. And this poem is called Locker or Plunged Through. And it's about that place and about an archaeological find that was, the, that was found there in, in the mid 1800s of the Locker Shield. And the Locker Shield is in the National Museum as we speak. And it's a large, very intricate bronze shield that was found on the verges of Lochgar. Lochgar or plunged through. It was two lads cutting rushes plunged their sickle through it. The hollow thud of bronze unearthed ceremonial shield and sun sign offering to the goddess Anya who lives beneath Lochgar, watching the surface. 
My grandmother conceived by this shore and my mother was born. But before that, Paddy and Nora skated on the frozen lock only for Nora to plunge through. Pulled up by the hair by my grandfather after she had already given up. Nora maintained that she felt the goddess, Anya, pulling her down to her depths. An enticing urge. And I can feel my grandmother sinking in this lake. Letting go of her young love and her future family and feeling that it could be good to leave this world confident in her savedness. This prehistoric space where each undulation is a hoard and treasure lies among the rushes, once a holy offering. Lochgar beneath Nochaini, Lochgar beneath Nochadoon, that birthed my mother and spared hers. For it was two lads cutting rushes plunged their sickle through it. The hollow thud of bronze unearthed ceremonial shield and sun sign offering to the goddess Anya who lives beneath Lochgar watching the surface. And my grandmother conceived by this shore and my mother was born. But before that, Paddy and Nora skated on the frozen lock only for Nora to plunge through. Pulled up by the hair by my grandfather after she had already given up. Nora maintained that she felt the goddess, Anya, pulling her down to her depths, an enticing urge. And I can feel my grandmother sinking in this lake, letting go of her young love and her future family and feeling that it could be good to leave this world, confident in her saveness. This prehistoric space, where each undulation is a hoard and treasure lies among the rushes, once a holy offering. Lochgar beneath Nochaini, Lochgar beneath Nochadoon, that birthed my mother and spared hers. Molly, Michal, that poem is just tremendous. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's funny, I've often heard your mother speak about that idea that Anya lives in the lake, or, or you know, that's where the goddess lives, and, and Nochaini, Noch Anya. But is that true that your your grandmother? Obviously, I imagine it is true. <laughs> it is true. Yeah, yeah, it is true. And um, and I was always uh, struck by. I mean, we all have that archetype in our head of 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 the girl, you know, of a woman f- sinking in in water with the hair, you know, whether it's mm. an MTV music video or or some movie that mm. we've seen. Uh, and it's an extraordinarily uh, potent symbol, actually, is a, of somebody, you know, that person, male or female, giving up against the the gravity and water yeah um and yes it is it is true yeah it is true there was three people there though not not just my grandfather there was three men reaching down and uh, they caught her but my grandmother wasn't a superstitious person she was a school teacher hmm. so even though she did say several times that she did feel on you um, and that it was a, a threshold moment uh, and i wonder if it was a near-death experience of some sort but that's really the f- the only place where mythology has entered the narrative of my family, you know, in, as a as a nuts and bolts uh, real thing. Mm. There's been nothing else supernatural or or anything psychic, n- to my knowledge. Um, even though my mother has had some very, uh, what's the word, um, dreams that have turned out to be quite uh, not telling the future, but very synchronistic. And me too. I, I've seen some things in my dreams that that I've seen a few days later. Hmm. But uh, but and I suppose poetry as an art form has allowed me to to enter into that space of of uh, taking existence. One of the things I was going to bring as a thing that matters today was mystery, you know, hmm. Hmm. but it was it was too large for me. I couldn't move it. But um, mystery is something that I love having in my life. Hmm. Uh, even though like I have an interfaith outlook, uh, a very um, aspirational faith. For me, faith means like the incorporation of doubt into your belief system. Like there's a kind of a synergy between both. Mm. You can't really have faith unless you kind of don't rationally believe in something. A lot of us Mm. don't realize that, that faith is actually kind of inferred that you're supposed to have a lot of doubt, you know. Mm. 
So to have faith in something, actually, you need to have doubt in order to have faith or else you wouldn't have faith. You would just believe. Right. So I love the word faith. And um, and there is a great uh, acknowledgement of, of doubt and faith <laughs> in poetry that 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 I found uh, easier to drop down into, actually, as a as a. And it, an it, it is amazing as an artist, because I know you speak about the first time you saw David White perform. And obviously you have recently, um, as you said last year, I, I remember I was due to go to the launch and it, and, and uh, you released your book. And of course, then the thing that's happened, happened. Uh, and um, but I, I suppose what what's interesting is what you're talking about there is the, the the period of time between that first experience of live poetry and and you actually taking the plunge yourself the plunge <laughs> you going for it yourself was was quite a period of time there was there was over 10 years actually of witnessing his art form and i suppose a i often thought one sign of a healthy apprenticeship is that one the apprentice doesn't see the invitation you know mm. come to write a book or come to enter into a, a more formal uh, path of of apprenticeship mm. or mentoring, which which happened, you know, and it was a real lesson in my life that feelings aren't facts. And it was quite a dark time in, in my own uh, life, you know, with I had some like a lot of addiction problems and a very low self-esteem. And um, but yeah, most of my issues came from just a decade more of, of dr drug abuse, really everything abuse, anything I could get my hands on. But um, many of your listeners will be able to identify with this. But being I was still in active, you know, tomfoolery, if you will, at that time. And I remember going to the house of David White and thinking that he was going to say, you have become too financially dependent on me. Now, I wasn't earning very much money doing gigs with David White, like, I don't know, very little. Mm -hmm. But um, it was a significant part of my earnings, which was overall very little. Yeah. And um, and as an artist, I desperately wanted to be an artist, but I couldn't stop, you know, this terrible cycle of uh, low self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera, and anxiety mm. for loads of reasons. And uh, when I was going to his house, I thought he was going to not cut me off, but like let me down easy and kind of you know, step back, kind of tiptoe backwards from this <laughs> tick, ticking time bomb of emotional insecurity, which is what I was. But uh, fortunately, he didn't realize that and invited <laughs> invited me into a more formal apprenticeship towards this, you know, amazing potentiality of becoming a, you know, a person with a book of poetry, you know, yeah, printed yeah. by a, 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 a printing press in Seattle, his own printing press. So this little book that I'm looking at, Early Music, is actually the first book printed by Manny Rivers Press. That's not his own. So he set up oh. his own printing press. And so he offered to kind of print. Uh, the only person it, it's ever printed apart from himself is is this little book called Early Music. And um, maybe I'll read you the title poem of the book mm. uh, before before I hit the road. And uh, it's about my childhood and about memory being being something that matters. Mm. It's called Early Music. I learned to make music when I was alone, revering the moment before I began to sing, then break the solitary silence. I learned to love my own voice, making a friend of it, Fashioning a fountain pen to master the phantom language. Each Brandenburg concerto furrowing ground turned up loud while my father drilled his impossibly strong fingers on the steering wheel, careening the back roads of Burt Hill. My mother would sing alone for hours. Hildegard and Shannos seamlessly sung Light would stream in the sash window while she scribbled illegibly, preparing for a performance. I would drum my hands on my thighs till they were hot and red, repeating the same beat thousands of times, honing the same phrase. 
and in the evening we would gather around two candles and early music on cassette. Before the dissonance and serialism, an early music to keep us company. An instrumental combination to unlock conversation and make the silences dance like shadows in candlelight. No vocal music to deflect and distract from a small family huddled around only food and flame and the warm faint sound of wood and gut string. Deepening every narrative, sharing harmony and conversation. A family that feels safe is sacred. Embryonic echo sounding still bounce back, reflected in the sound of early music. I learned to love my own voice, making a friend of it, fashioning a fountain pen to master the phantom language, each Brandenburg concerto furrowing ground, turned up loud while my father drilled his impossibly strong fingers on the steering wheel, careening the back roads of Bird Hill, and my mother would sing alone for hours. Hildegard and Shanlo seamlessly sung. Light would stream in the sash window while she scribbled illegibly preparing for a performance. I would drum my hands on my thighs till they were hot and red, repeating the same beat thousands of times, honing the same phrase. And in the evening we would gather around two candles and early music on cassette before the dissonance and serialism and early music to keep us company. No vocal music to deflect and distract from a small family huddled around only food and flame and the warm faint sound of wood and gut string. A family that feels safe is sacred. Embryonic echo sounding still bounce back, reflected in the sound of early music. Another beautiful, beautiful sharing. Thank you so much, Michal. <laughs> um, just stunning. And... Uh, and most importantly, anyone listening, where can they get their hands on Early Music, the book? Uh, good question. I haven't found a, dis- not found, I haven't sought out a distributor in Limerick yet because uh, mm. I released it last, I mean, late last year. So it's been a strange time. But uh, I'm sending out a few copies myself. Uh, but also you can find it on Amazon if you type in Miholo Sulevon Early Music Poetry. You can find it there. You can find it at many, oh, davidwhite.com, D-A-V-I-D-W-H-Y-T-E.com. Somehow I feel David White's probably easier to spell than me all as soon one. <laughs> David's got that. He's definitely got that uh, head start. <laughs> but um, anyone anyone listening, I, I'm sure if you're looking at your app, you can see me all Sure name thing. Spelled. And find me, find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram name, I might change. Actually, it's a bit pretentious. It's called Deepening the Narrative. Well, I like it because it's, it's a term. It's in that poem. So I thought that's it is. lovely. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, I love that term, actually, because that's I, and I think that's a challenge for all of us to try constantly try and deepen our narrative around ourselves and and our and our world. But um, find me on Facebook, Facebook as well. You know, Michal O'Sullivan, Michal P. O'Sullivan. There's a picture of my Nari there. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to get to 5,000 friends, so, uh, come be my friend on Facebook. Go and, befriend uh, him. And, and also you, your, 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 yourself and, and your mom and your oh, brother yeah. do some yeah, magical we things. We do, we do some online courses as well, actually around mythology. If you're interested in fostering your own sense of permission around mythology and poetry, ritual, Interfaith spirituality, if you're looking for a bit of community, a bit of a laugh, looking to widen your net and steal a few poems or good songs or interesting ideas yourself, come and join us at turrasdanam.com. So turrasdanam, T-U-R-A-S-D-A-N-A-M, turrasdanam, which means journey of your soul in, in, in Irish. But at turrasdanam.com, we do a load of courses. And if you send us a message through that and say you were listening at this podcast, We'll give you a free course or a scholarship to our next course as well. So oh my. Uh, send us a message through turrasdonham.com, owenandmoley.com as well. It's me and my brothers work together. Um, we're quickly dovetailing from uh, 
global musical superstars into into you know poets and uh, <laughs> philosophers, uh, which was there all along, like with all of us. Mm. And uh, and yeah, but yeah, fine, come, come come reach out and find us. But this is a great thing, Anne. I hope you do. I was listening to a podcast today, and they were celebrating six hundred different podcasts, like okay. six hundred episodes. So may you have six thousand episodes. Oh. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. It, it'll take a while to get there, but thank you for your 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 well wishes. And thank you most importantly for joining us and sharing those things that matter to you and your beautiful poetry and outlook on life. It's just fantastic. It's my pleasure. I actually am trying to dovetail uh, like like uh, the idea of diet and poetry. Actually, I'll just say this before I leave. It's not, it's unwritten and okay. I don't have it yet, but it's called The Poet's Diet. Because I was struck at like poet, diet, you know what I mean? This is big stuff. And so like you're rhyming it. That's your, you're halfway there. <laughs> poet, diet, you know, what I mean? I'm thinking, I, I'm just thinking about like, you know, the things that what we have to do to create a poetic side of ourselves or to enter into that poetic space. Mm. Like, you know, uh, whether they be healthy or not, you know what I mean? Like, so a poet's diet, like often what gets us into that poetic space, and I don't know if you knew, was not very calorie friendly thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> and, and I think it's very much about finding um, a, a healthy way to get to that space. Definitely. <laughs> I was going to bring the word moderation as a thing that mattered to me, but then I, I fell asleep because it was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, this certainly has not been boring. It has been really, really wonderful. So, Michal Moli, uh, thank you so much for joining us. God bless everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to Three Things That Matter with me, Anne Blake, a Limerick Post podcast produced by Eric Fitzgerald. Theme tune is composed by myself and performed and recorded by my lovely brother, David Blake. You can follow Limerick Post on Twitter at Limerick Post. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let others know and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at AnneBlake78, on Instagram at AnneBlakePlay, and the podcast on the hashtag 3ThingsTM. <laughs>